this morning. Did everybody have a good and Merry Christmas? Good. Did you get everything I wanted for Christmas this year? Did you, did you do that? Because if you did, just deliver it to my house later today. That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Well, it's great to see everyone. My name's Chad, and I'm one of the guys on staff here. And today, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 7. So I'd love to invite you to go ahead and take your Bibles if you have a Bible with you today, or if you have it on your phone or some device that you have, that'd be great. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. We've been in a series called The Fullness of Time, and it's based on that Greek word pleroma, the idea that God brings everything to completion at just the right time and in just the right way. And, and realistically, Christmas is that story that isn't really the end of a thing. It's really the beginning of something. And actually, it's not even the beginning of something. It's the continuation of something. In the Old Testament, in the ancient times, we had this promise that this Messiah would come. And then he came as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then that story didn't end there. It continued to the place where he was, where he was, he was martyred for his faith and for our faith. He was given as a sacrifice so that the sins that we have committed could be paid for, so that the, the, the redemption that we so desperately need could take place. And so he gave his life on the cross at Calvary. He died a sinner's death, even though he wasn't one. He took your place and he took mine on the cross. And then to prove that he was God, he he rose from the dead three days later. And you might think that's the end of the story, but it's not because the story continues today because this is a day when this day, today, right now, is a moment where that story of God's graciousness to us and his faith that, that he's given to us, it can intersect with your own life and with your own family and with this year and with last year and with next year. And so in the fullness of time, you have come to this place to hear God's word and to sing about his grace and his goodness in our life. You know that question that Daniel asked just a moment ago or what he, what he talked about in regards to the cornerstone and the foundations of your faith, it makes me wonder, what is the foundation of your faith? What is the foundation of your faith? Because today we're going to see from Matthew chapter 7 what is really a continuation of that story of Jesus. And today this is that moment when that story can intersect with yours. And here's the thing I hope you understand today. As we take a look at scripture today, I believe that what you see inside this book will make your life better. And if you can live according to the principles and precepts and practices in this word, I believe that you will be better at life. And that question or those comments that Brad made earlier today about that idea that we get to this time every year and, and we remember this same thought that every year we either say, we either end the year saying, I wish I had or I'm glad I did. I wish I had a little more time. I wish I had spent a little more time on vacation or a little more time at home. I wish I had saved a little bit more money or I'm really glad I did eat all of that chocolate pie this Christmas. I'm really glad I did or I really wish I hadn't eaten all of that. And you'll get to the end of next year saying exactly the same thing. You'll look back over 2019. And so right now you have this opportunity. You have this opportunity to begin making some choices. And just what if, what if the basis of your choices came not from your temporary perspective on life, the universe, and everything, but what if your choices were based on the eternal perspective of someone who could see the beginning and the end and the things that happened before the beginning and, and after the end? You know, that idea, I wish I had or I'm glad I did, when you get to the end of 2019, some of you will have a far better marriage a year from now than you do right now today. Some of you will. 
But you know what? Some of you won't. And whether or not you say, I'm glad I did or I wish I had in regards to your marriage, it all depends on the decisions that you make today. And the same thing's true with your relationship with your kids. You'll either have a much better relationship with your kids this time a year from now, or you won't. You'll have a better financial position because you've saved some money or you've gotten out of some debt. Or maybe by this time next year, you will have gotten into some debt and spent some money. You see how that works? You'll have a broader range of deeper relationships and friendships with people, or you won't. I'm I'm really, I'm really glad I did, or I really wish I had. You will find yourself a year from now more deeply and intimately acquainted with your heavenly Father through the grace of his Son, Jesus, or you won't. You see, it's really, it, it, I know we like to complicate things. I love to complicate things. I, I, I like it when things are complicated. Com- I love movies where there's complicated dialogue and complicated storylines and it bounces back and forth from one character to another. I love those kinds of complexities until it starts messing up my life and then all of a sudden it's not a fun movie anymore and all of a sudden it's complex. But the reality is life is actually far more simple than you might imagine. Yes, there's com- complexities and yes, there are complications, but Either you'll end next year saying, I'm glad I did, or I wish I had. And there's certainly a world of things that can happen to you, but the response that you have to each one of those things is dependent on you. And so this year, I wonder if this was the year that you're ending saying, I'm glad I did. And I wonder if next year will be the year that you say, again, I'm glad I did. Or will this be the year that you say, I wish I, wish I had. You see, the, the reality is the way you answer that question is all based on the foundation of your life. Where did you build your foundation and what does that foundation really look like. And that's what we see in Matthew chapter 7. So go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 7. It's the end of Matthew chapter 7 that we're going to take a look at today. We're going to be in verse 24 is where we're going to begin. We're going to begin in verse 24. And so what I'd like to invite you to do is stand with me because we like to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. And so here's a great foundation for you. And I hope that you'll build your life on this foundation because I really do genuinely believe that that living by the principles, precepts, and practices of this book, it'll make you better at life, and I believe it will make your life better. And so Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, it begins like this. It says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks so much. You can be seated. That's an incredible illustration that Jesus gives. It's Jesus in Matthew chapter 7 who's speaking right there. And this is an interesting passage of Scripture because he's actually concluding what is really his most well-known sermon. 
You see, Jesus came in the fullness of time as a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and then he lived his life, and really for 30 years, he spent his life just being him, just doing what he does, being a, learning to be a carpenter's son, and, and, and growing in his community, making friends and building relationships, and when he was about 30 years old, he began his public ministry, and then at this point, he's assembled his disciples there around the Sea of Galilee, and he delivers this incredible sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. It actually begins in chapter chapter 5 of Matthew, and what we've just read are his last few words of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and you can trace almost every other parable, almost every other story that Jesus tells, you can trace the principle, almost all of them, right back to, to the Sermon on the Mount. At some point, it's almost like they encapsulated the entire message of who Jesus is and what it was that Jesus was attempting to communicate to people. It's like they encapsulated, they captured it in Matthew chapter 5, verses 7 in the Sermon on the Mount. And when you get to Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he's wrapping it up. And the way he wraps it up is he says, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. Jesus has given one closing illustration and he's saying, if you do the things that I've just talked about in this Sermon on the Mount, I will call you a wise man. You will be a wise person. Wise people live according to the things that I've just talked to you about in this Sermon on the Mount. And and, and these things that I've, that I've talked to you about, you'll be wise because you'll be building your life. You'll be building your house on this firm foundation that is the rock. And when the rains come and the winds blow, your house, the life of your, the, the life of your house will remain standing. Now, we live in Oklahoma, right? You guys don't know anything about strong winds, right? Yeah, we don't know anything about it. We're those people who, when the wind blows and the, and the rains come and the, and the meteorologist says, hey, y'all, it's a tornado, we walk out onto our front porch and stay out in the, in the driveway just kind of looking, and we're looking for the cow that flies by, and we're looking for the, hey, that's, that's Aunt Betty's dishpan. Where'd that come from? You know, we're looking for those things. We had some strong winds here the other day that knocked out power around 76 and 169 and Highway 169. We're used to strong winds. When your life, when your house, when your family are built on the rock, when those winds blow, when those controversies come, when those complexities I talked about just a minute ago, when those things happen because they're coming, your house, your life, your family is able to stand and, and that's what that word really right there at the very beginning, verse 24, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine, you may have heard this before, but anytime you look in scripture and you see the word therefore, you should probably look back a few verses or a few chapters to find out what it's there for because he's representing something. He's saying, this is my illustration of all these things that I've just said, and I want you to know something. If you'll live according to this, the things I've said in the Sermon on the Mount, then your life will be built on this firm foundation and this solid rock. And so today, we're going to kind of do a simple survey of the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to do it in the context of building our house. What kind of house are you building this year? Because there's this reality that I hope we catch today. And it's this. It's that your family, your family is the very first experience of or experience with an example of faith. The family that you live in, the family that you're raising, the, wh whether you're a family of one as a single person or whether you're a family of 20 because you've got a lot of kids and grandkids and great-grandkids, but family is your first example 
and experience of faith. And so when God says, when Jesus says right here, build your house on a rock, I'll liken you to a wise man. What he's really saying is your house is built on a rock when you do the things that he's talked about in Matthew chapter 7 and Matthew chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 5, all through that Sermon on the Mount. And so if we want to give our kids an incredible experience of faith, if we want to show our family an incredible example of faith, then we need to build our lives on this firm foundation What is the firm foundation? Well, it's Jesus Christ and the words that he's spoken through this sermon. You know, when I think about building something, we just got finished this year building the mission, and I'm so excited about the way that has turned out. It's been, it's, if you haven't had a chance to go visit yet, I hope that you will. It's an incredible ministry. It's an incredible mission, and the building is awesome. But, you know, when we started building that building, we didn't just kind of start willy-nilly going, hey, we should just kind of help people. Let's put up a shack over here and do something. We started with a plan, Right. We had this vision. We want to partner people who have things with people who need things as we share the love of Christ with them. That was our purpose. It was this great big vision, this great big purpose. And so if you're going to build your family on the rock, if you're going to build a house, if you're going to build your household of one or your household of 20, if you're going to build a life on the rock, then wouldn't you want to know what your purpose is? I wonder if you've ever taken the time to consider what is the purpose of your family. You see, I think that's the first thing we see when we think about what it means to, to build your life on the rock. You need to build your house on purpose. You need to build your family on purpose. Have you ever thought about what the purpose of your family is? Why did you get married in the first place? Is it because she's pretty? <laughs> is it because he's, he's wealthy? <laughs> is, it because, is it because you wanted kids? Why did you have kids in the first place? I got to number three and wondered, what am I doing? And now we're at number four, and I'm like, yes, we have four, and we're even. We can go to Disney World and all ride evenly on the, on the, on the rides at Disney World. That's perfect now. It's great. And so what's the purpose of your family? Have you ever considered that? See, I think sometimes our approach to family, instead of being intentional, is sometimes awfully accidental. See, accidental is when we run into a problem. We don't really know exactly what to do. We just kind of go, oh, I don't know. We're just going to try to get through this. When we have an argument, we're just trying to win and, and just prove that we're right and you're wrong and I'm big and you're small and you're going to do what I say and, and, and you know that, that's just the way it's going to be. Because instead of having an intent behind our family, we accidentally run into things. But man, intentional things, they move with so much power. You know, you got here today probably in a car that was designed with a purpose in mind and that purpose helped you know exactly what to do when you sat in the driver's seat or sat in the passenger seat and when you put that that little that little pedal on the right when you pushed it down your car actually moved somewhere why because with intent you pushed that pedal down and it moved you somewhere we need to build our families on purpose have you ever had a discussion with your family about what the purpose of your family is you see this is something that my family's been discussing for a while. What is the purpose of our family? You know, in every family, you're going to find several things. You're going to find core values, you're going to find family practices, and you're going to find preferences. Core values are those non-negotiable things that these are the things that just don't ever change. They're not based on me. They're not based on you. They're based on something far larger than ourselves. They're, they're based on something that's far more stable than my, than, than my fickle opinions and my fickle feelings. Uh, it's just based on so much more than that. So core values are the things 
things that don't change. Family practices are the things that are a little bit different from one family to another. In our family, we're night people. And so this whole Christmas break, we've gotten our days and our nights reversed. We've stayed up till 2 and 3 in the morning, and we've gotten up, well, I think Londa had, had breakfast about 3 uh, p.m., I think yesterday is about what time that was when she was cooking some eggs for herself. And so we've just kind of gotten our days and nights reversed. But that may be different for your family. Maybe your family's on a very different schedule than that. You go to bed by 9 p.m. because you're up at 5 a.m. and you're actually going out to get the chicken's eggs that, uh, that we ate the other day. So maybe those things are happening. But, but those are sort of family practices. You know, and some family practices, some families are football families and some families are tennis families and some families are music families and some families don't do any of that. They're just, they just kind of hang out together and do all these other things. And those, that's okay. They're not based on the core values that are non-negotiable. Family practices are based on this is what makes us who we are. And then there's preferences, because you know this, inside your preferences, inside your family, there's always preferences. Um, you're going to experience this as soon as church is over. Someone's going to say, well, what do you want for lunch? <laughs> and someone's going to say, I don't care. What do you want? And they're going to say, I don't care. What do you want? Well, let's go to Baja Jacks. I don't want Baja Jacks. Well, I thought you said you didn't care. You see, there's preferences, and those preferences always play out in funny ways. Between husbands and wife, one prefers, one prefers the toilet seat up, and the other prefers the toilet seat down. And, and some like it a little hot, and some like get a little cold, and some prefers to spend a lot, and some prefer to save a lot. And you find the tensions that are related there, the tensions that come inside our families, simply because we all have our preferences, right? And so when we build our lives on purpose, what we're really talking about, when we build our families and our house on purpose, what we're talking about is this idea that we're going to have these core values that are based on something bigger than us. And then our family practices are going to be based on and founded on those core values. So in my own family, we've been talking about what is the purpose of our family. And so I'm just going to kind of give you a, a, a highlight. This is, this is just a piece of who we are. And then as I look at Matthew chapter 7, actually chapters 5, 6, and 7, there's some things in our own family practices that I think are important to us. And I'd hope, I hope they'll become important to you. So here's our family purpose. In core values, in the Balthrop family, our determined purpose is to honor God by the way we love and serve him, one another, and the people God entrusts to us. Now, when I say you ought to have a family purpose, I don't mean you have to be able to write it down like that, but I was thinking about it, and we talk about it a lot, but this, this expresses really the core value of who we are. Our determined purpose is to know God as a family. Our determined purpose is to honor God as a family. Well, what's the best way you can honor God? Well, the first and the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself, and so those are pretty core values. Those are bigger than me. They're bigger than my family, and they're actually something that could incorporate, we incorporate in the life of our church. The purpose of our church is to love all people to Christ and equip them on their journey with God and one another. And so it's even related to that because it's a core value that's bigger than who we are. In the Balthrop family, our determined purpose is to honor God by the way we love and serve God, love and serve one another, and then the way we love and serve the people that God entrusts to us. Well, who are those? Well, those are our friends and family. They're you. They're the people in our community that God just happens to bring across our path. It becomes, we, we look for ways. When we, when we send our kids to school, we, we, we have conversations with them about ways they can serve people, ways they can love people, people who need help, ways they need help, and people they can look to as mentors or people they can look for as wise counsel, people they can stand with and people that maybe they need to be careful of. We have those kinds of conversations, and it's not based on what's, it's not based on just, you know, the, what, that, that fickle idea of what feels good in the moment. 
It's based on this core value that we want to love God and we want to serve his people. We want to love God, we want to serve him. We want to love people, we want to serve them. That's kind of the core value of who we are as a family. But inside that, now we have some family practices. Because when you look at Matthew chapter 7, look back at that passage with me one more time. Matthew chapter 7. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So if we're going to know these sayings, if we're going to live our lives according to these sayings, then our family practices, if we're going to build on this foundation that is the rock, we've got this great purpose, let's build on this rock. Now let's build something on it according to that purpose. Let's build according to the plan. And so here are just some of the family practices that we talk about a lot. Now we don't always use these words and it's rarely ever formal. We're not a very formal family. Actually, we are, we're a very informal family. And so it's not like we sit down and have these open Bible studies where we're singing together and then we're doing this. Some families do that and if you do that, that's fantastic. But we, 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 we use teachable moments a lot. But these are some of the things that we talk about as a family. So here's some things that are some of our family practices. And I'll show you where they come from because these become the building blocks of our faith. So watch this. These are some of our family practices. Because we trust the grace of Jesus, in our family we repent when we're wrong and we forgive when we've been wrong. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15. We're going to bounce around through Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 for just a second. Look at verses 14 and 15. Verse 14 says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, that becomes an important brick in the house that we want to build together. Because we trust the grace of Jesus, we've been forgiven by Jesus Christ. All of us in my immediate family, we've all trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of sin. And because of that, we have this great obligation to one another to offer the same forgiveness. You know, in my family, the question is isn't if I'm going to disappoint my, my wife or disappoint my kids. The question is, when will it happen and how big will it be? And so if we don't have grace for one another, if we're not willing to repent when we're wrong and forgive when we've been wronged, that instantly becomes a broken, a broken foundation that will cause us one day, that will cause us one day to end our relationship. You see how that works? Because we trust the grace of Jesus, we repent when we're wrong, and we forgive when we've been, gro- been wrong. Here's another one. Because we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, we serve the fruit of the Spirit to one another. Because we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, we serve the fruit of the Spirit to one another. Now, you know what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's in Galatians chapter 5. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But if you turn over to Matthew chapter 5, In Matthew chapter 5, you see another expression of what the fruit of the Spirit produces in someone's life. Matthew chapter 5 verse 3 says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You see, when we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our own lives, we can serve that fruit to someone else. There are days when I come home and I've just had a bad day. And it's amazing how little joy I have in that moment. 
And then one of my kids, who's overflowing with joy on that day, comes to me, and they just give me a hug. Or they just say, how you doing, Dad? Or they just do something thoughtful or something kind for me, and suddenly, because they've cultivated the fruit of the Spirit in their own lives, they've been able to serve the fruit of the Spirit into my life. And then there are times when they're, they're running low on fruit, when they're, run, when, they're, when they're a little bit hungry for themselves rather than hungering and thirsty for righteousness. I have a friend named Jonathan Oliver, and at the Character Council luncheon, he was one of the speakers, and he told a story about he and his own daughter, and his own daughter is, I think, six years old now, and... He's carrying a bunch of stuff into the house, and she runs up to him, and daddy, daddy, he's pulling, daddy, daddy, play with me, dad, play with me, play with me right now, and he's got a bunch of stuff in his hands, and this is one of those moments in a family when you could just bite your kid's head off, right? You're like, hello, I'm carrying a bunch of stuff, are you an imbecile, can you tell that I've got all this stuff in my hands? But that's not what Jonathan did, I love the way he did this. He, he paused for just a second. And he says, I hear you right now. I hear that you want me to give you something. You want me to give you my time and my attention. I hear that you want to give me that. But do you see what I have in my hands right now? Could you tell me what, what's something right now in this moment you could give me? And she stops and she thinks for a minute. She goes, patience, Daddy. I think I could give you patience. That's exactly right. Good girl. I like that. And so he got into the house and he got his stuff set down. And you know what they did? They went and they played and they had a great time together. Why? Because he was able to give her his time and attention in the right time and the right way because she was able to offer to him one of the fruits of the Spirit. She was able to give him patience. She's six. I wonder if we could do that for one another. That's one of the things. It becomes a building block in my family. I hope it becomes a building block in your family, not because it's in my family, but because it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said, if you build your life with bricks like these, you'll build on a solid foundation that will not fall when the most terrible of times comes. Here's another one. Our home is a place of affection and protection, a place where I am on your side. That's just one of the things that's true about our home. Our home is a place of affection and protection. It's a place where I'm on your side. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is all the law and the prophets. In our house, our house is a place of affection. It's a place of protection, and it's a place where I'm on your side. Here's another one. Because we trust, or excuse me, because trust is the currency of freedom, we take personal responsibility for the words we use and the actions we choose. Because trust in our household, in our household, curfews aren't a big deal. We have a daughter who's driving now. She just turned 16 about a year ago, and she's driving. We don't have a curfew yet, and the reason why is because trust in our house is the currency of freedom. Give me a reason to trust you. And the longer I have a reason to trust you, the more freedom you have. Take away my trust, and you lose your freedom. Trust is the currency of freedom. We take personal responsibility for the words we use and the actions we choose. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Verse 15 says, Beware of false prophets. Those would be people who lie. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. 
You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't have curfews for your kids. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you shouldn't have expectations for your kids. You have, these are family practices, right? Do handle that the way you want to. But recognize that Scripture says trust is the currency of freedom. So however you apply that in your family, that's a great building block on which to build your family's foundation. So take a look at this. We're faithful to one another and responsible for one another. It's another principle from the Sermon on the Mount. We're faithful to one another and responsible for one another. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say when their brother is in trouble, they'll ask the question, well, am I my brother's keeper? And they think that's awesome because it comes from the Bible, but that's terrible. Do you know why that's terrible? Am I my brother's keeper? Cain is the one who said it. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain killed his brother. Actually, it's interesting. Cain didn't like the way Abel worshipped. And so the first worship war was actually between Cain and Abel. He didn't like the way Abel worshipped. And so he killed him for it. And when God comes to Cain and says, hey, where's your brother Abel? Cain's answer is, well, am I my brother's keeper? What a terrible thing to say. Cain was trying to cover up the murder of his brother, the murder he committed. And God got him for it. So we need to recognize that we ought to be responsible, we ought to be faithful to one another and responsible for one another. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. Remember, in this verse, it's interesting. You've come to the altar to worship, and you're remembering that your brother has something against you. It's not making any evaluation as to who's right and who's wrong. Maybe you're right. Maybe your brother's right. But you've come to this altar of worship, ready to worship, but you remember that your brother has something against you. And it doesn't matter in this moment who's right or wrong. It says... um, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. You see, we need to be responsible. We need to be faithful to one another and responsible for one another. Now, there's some other things inside our family practices that are kind of unique to us. For example, um, we bleed crimson and cream in our family. We just do. We just bleed, and I know that's kind of a painful topic for me today. We bleed crimson and cream. And because we bleed crimson and cream, I have this saying that we use because I just like telling people this. We win if we can, we lose if we must, and we always cheat. (laughs) And that's not in Scripture anywhere. (laughs) That's not a part of it. But that's a part of who we are. And when I say we always cheat, what that really means is when we play games like Monopoly, I try to see how many properties properties I can buy using somebody else's money. Or if we play a family game of poker, I try to see how many other people's chips I can throw into the pile and make them think they came from me. We just kind of play around with one another like that. And that idea that we bleed crimson and cream, it has infected our family in almost every area except last night where my daughter 
And if you want to get her for this, it's perfectly okay. My daughter, through the whole game, was wearing an Oklahoma, University of Oklahoma hoodie. And when it became crystal clear that the game was not going to go our way, she took off her hoodie, and underneath her hoodie was this deeply ugly Alabama t-shirt that she was wearing. And so if, you, if you're looking for a good daughter and would like to put her up in a new home, I've got, a, I've got one for sale, good price and all that stuff. And we bleed crimson and cream. Those are, those are just some of the things that are true for us. In our, in our family, some of the things that are true for us, we celebrate kindness. We celebrate wisdom. We celebrate the clever. We celebrate the skilled. I love it when my kids bring something home to me that, that's something that they've worked on at school. I love the opportunity not to just say to them, hey, good job. But I love to be able to be specific. Man, that was really clever, the way you answered that question. That was great. I love the way. Man, the way you did this with your friends, that was kind. Thank you so much for being kind to your brother in this moment when you didn't want to be. Thanks for doing that. You need to build according to a purpose. And the purpose needs to be defined and based on, well, not just the Sermon on the Mount, but the Word of God. There's one more point, one more big point that I hope that we'll catch today. And I think if we're going to build a house, if your family is the first experience of an, an example of faith, if you're going to build your house on this, then I think maybe we ought, to, we ought to build according to the plans of the architect, right? We ought to build according to the plans of the architect. That's what we did with the mission. We didn't just go out there and throw up a, a pole barn, we, a shed. We didn't just do that. We had an architect who showed us some. Actually, over the holiday, Dawson got a Christmas gift that I loved. It was awesome. He was a little bit too young to do it himself, and so I kind of, we did it together and then for part of it, and then I kind of finished it for him, and I just want to show it to you. It's really, it's really kind of fun. This is a, uh, again, a little bitter over last night. Uh, but that's okay. Uh, this is just a this is a Lego football helmet, and uh, it took me a couple of days. And Dawson helped me with this, but we put it together. There's over 1,300 pieces inside this football helmet. 1,300 pieces that are inside that. And so it, we just kind of put it together one step at a time, and they all came as individual little tiny 1,300 pieces. I put all that together. And, you know, truthfully, I'm sure with those 1,300 pieces, if, I'd assembled, uh, if I would have assembled them the way that I wanted to, I could have gotten something, right? I could have gotten something, but I'm not sure. Actually, I'm 100% certain I wouldn't have gotten this. I would have had fun. Dawson and I would have had a blast. We would have lost some. I'd have choked on something. It would have been awesome because they're little bitty pieces. But, but instead, what I did is instead of just getting the pieces, instead of just getting them out and putting them together randomly. I got them out, and I know this is weird, ladies, but I actually followed the instructions. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, for these 1,300 pieces, there's uh, 57 different steps. And it started, let me just show you how it started. It started like this. It started like this. And it ended like that. Now, this is just a trinket, right? 1,300 pieces for a small little Lego football helmet. How many pieces make up your life? How many experiences make up your year? How many decisions make up your family? How can we afford not to build according to the plans of the architect? I don't think we can afford not to. You see, that's the last thing about our core values. Let's put those up one at a time. Core values, the, the first one, that's uh, uh, the first point after build according to the architect. 
That's a good point, too. This is a really good point. Let me see if I can find my notes in here. Hey, there it is. We need to let God's word define your core values. That's what I hope happens for you in 2019, that you'll let God's word define your core values. And then your family practices, that's the next one. I hope you'll make worship with God's people a weekly family practice. I hope being here will help you put all the pieces in all the right places. I hope that's what will happen. And then lastly, surrender your personal preferences to serve God and his people. And we have so many personal preferences. My family works so much better. My family works so much better when I can stay in a place where I can surrender my personal preferences to my kids or surrender my personal preferences to my wife. My family just works better. And sometimes it works better when they surrender their personal preferences to me. So it doesn't mean I'm always getting stepped on. It doesn't mean I never get my way. It means that there are moments when I need to go, yeah, the room's cold. You can make it hotter. That's okay. Or yeah, yeah, I want to watch this, but we're going to watch that. Yes, I'd prefer to eat this, but let's eat that instead. There's just so many moments when we can surrender our personal preferences. We can surrender our personal preferences. We can do that here in this church. We can do this in our community. Not simply to make our family lives better, but to make our church family better. To surrender our personal preferences so that we can share the gospel with someone who's never heard it before. So that we can meet a need that we've never had in the life of someone who's never known any other life than a life of need. We have the opportunity to do that. We can surrender our personal preferences so that we can serve God and his people. And there's one last piece of that idea. You know, if you're not a person of faith, then your life is built on the sand. And you know, in that passage, the sand and the rock, they look so much the same and you can't tell them apart until the storm comes. It's when the storm comes that you know whether or not you've built on the rock or you've built on the sand. And the first place The first place you need to fall is on that rock that Daniel spoke of. You need to fall on the grace of Jesus Christ. And let the brokenness that you've experienced already in your life be put back together. Not because you're put together, but because Jesus Christ has done something miraculous and marvelous in your own life. And so today, that's our invitation. How will you, this moment leading into next year... How will you surrender to your heavenly Father? Will you follow his plan and build according to his purpose? Will you place your faith in Jesus Christ? If that's something you need to do today, in just a moment we'll pray together. There'll be men up front who can talk to you about that. There's people all in the room around you who would love, if you just said, I need to know what it means to place my faith in Christ, you could tell anybody in here and they would be glad to point you in the right direction. So tell them that. Maybe your family's fallen apart. Maybe your faith is shaky and it's because you're facing that storm and you realize you've built, your, you've built your foundation on sand. You've not built it on the solid rock of who Christ is. Well, this is a moment to repent. Say, Father, forgive me for that. I surrender to you. I want to give this year to you. I want to end next year saying I'm glad I did instead of I wish I had. I want to be able to put my life together in a way that's beautiful. Not because I'm brilliant, but because I'm following your plan and your purpose. John 13, 17 is another place where the Sermon on the Mount is referenced. And Jesus says it like this. He says, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. It's very simple. If you know these things, what things? These things. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Let's pray.